right. Uh, welcome to this week's edition of Art Bears. I'm joined by Lindsay Starr and Dallas Hoffman of Hicks 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 Collective, Cattywampus Press, and Dirty Dark Place Gallery in Kyle, Texas, amongst other places. Thanks for joining me, guys. This is actually the second time we've had to record. First time, Take good. Two. We had fun, but we were recording outside at uh, kind of tropical. Mm-hmm. It was windy. Kind of windy. It was kind of windy. windy. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I... They're always chill. My father, Paul Farso, shout out to Paul Farso, who is Big a musician. He um, helps me mix all of these. And he was like, if I had... Five thousand dollars. Like he started <laughs> getting on. He's like, recording. I salvaged it. And I was like, it's okay. You know what? I don't um, think the juice is yeah. squeeze here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was like, we'll just redo it. So, um, we're that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna Speaking redo juice, it. Yep. And I'm gonna sip of this lovely mimosa. The glass tire green room is unparalleled. By <laughs> yes. <the way. laughs> Once again, I kudos to. Uh, Rainy and, and Christina and and the whole the whole the whole gang Brandon from, mm-hmm. exactly yes and of course to Neil Farso shall we yes. shall we cheers to salute yeah. that's right right guys to the end of democracy and to the end of democracy <laughs> it was a good run. Yeah, it you was know a what I mean run. yeah it was an okay run <laughs> yeah. it was a run it was a run yeah <laughs> um so yeah uh. Well, let's get into it. So, guys, if you want to just kind of talk about how you started the press and the history of that and Hick 66 Collective and then also the, the gallery, just yeah, as kind of a background. Please. A rundown. Lindsay Stark, give some context <laughs> to who you are. Yes, hello. Um, I am Lindsay Starr. I'm a Texas gal. <laughs> <laughs> Been around the state a little bit. Um, grew up here in San Antonio and uh, went to school up at Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. In Lubbock. Yes. In the, the brown town. Since the I dirt my fields. Time. Yeah. Yes. Taking the dirt out of your teeth. And uh, while I was there, started working at the press, the Texas Tech University Press, and really got into bookmaking um, as a student and then just decided to pursue that after. And um, Quickly moved down to Austin and uh, started working at the University of Texas Press. And that's where we met, at UT. At UT, yes. Yeah. Data was in the libraries. I was making books. Kismet. Mm-hmm. And, um, you were, there was a screening of a, for, uh, of a film for a series, for a yes, book that you Charles had Charles Ramirezberg, his book, uh, The Classical Mexican Cinema. Mm. He had, uh, put this lovely book together. Mm-hmm. And it was like a, an event, and Data was running the event. Mm-hmm. That's right, at the Fine Arts Library at, at UT Austin. Mm-hmm. And uh, I came to Austin by way of Florida. I had been there with um, the experimental filmmaker Roger Beebe um, in Gainesville, Florida. And I had worked with Roger for a number of years. He taught me a lot about underground film and sort of how the community of avant-garde worked. And from Roger, I came into contact with an artist called Jim Roche, who um, lives in uh, outside of Tallahassee, Florida. He's Professor Emeritus at FSU. And Jim taught me everything I know about um, how to alienate people in a good-natured way and um, to really use what you got um, to make a lot out of a little. And uh, Jim is who convinced me to <clears throat> come here to 
Tejas. He had been here in the 60s and 70s as a part of the Oak Cliff Five or Six or wherever they were, and came down to Austin by way of Dave Hickey and the clean, well-lighted place. Um, Hickey had produced an exhibition with St. Ed's University, weirdly enough, called the South Texas Funk. And it had um, a bunch of really interesting artists who were about to blow up, and Jim was one of them. And so after sort of being in the, in the tutelage of, of, of that, I saw the light and made my way here and found purchase at University of Texas at Austin, Bookham, and, uh, <laughs> and that's where I met Lindsay Starr, and we got together. And started to we make were history. Doing Hicks, when I met you. Yeah, I had been doing the group Hicks. We had been in the 2013 Texas Biennial and the Dallas Biennial um, in Aurora in the Biennial of the Americas. We had done um, the Contemporary Austin after the museums in Austin consolidated. We um, they sort of got rid of all of their gratos came in and sort of got rid of like all of their. Um, programming that was facing sort of emergent and mid-career artists and the bone that they threw to us was this program called Crit Group and we were in the inaugural Crit Group so we had a, a performance commissioned as a part of that and I met Lynn shortly after that. Hicks now is sort of, um, it's an art group that we run but um, really it's like kind of almost like a think tank or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so to give uh, listeners some background on some of the projects that you've done for the Caddy Wampus Press, um, previous books would include things like Animals I Shot at Cabela's, yeah. which is um, a book of photos of the various stuffed animals. And for any out-of-state <laughs> well, listeners, you call them taxidermy animals. animals. <laughs> <laughs> at the largest Cabela's. <laughs> only yeah. they were stuffed animals. At the large, that would be even better. Yeah. It's it's like a very Mike Kelly kind of thing, yeah. you know what I mean? You just go in there and like assemble. Stuffed animals yeah. onto the taxidermy. <laughs> All right, Neil. Just Let's get to it. Yes. Is Cabela's a national chain or is it Texas only? I don't know. They're actually out of business now and they're owned by Bass Pro Shop. So that would oh, make them okay. a, a international, international yeah. corporation. Okay. So Cabela's is like an outdoor sporting goods place. Yes. That, and where is the one where you shot that? It's where, in Buda, Texas. That's right. It's the yeah. largest Cabela's in Texas. And there's basically like in a crazy taxidermed animal. It's a house collection, yeah, yeah, that is there. That um, it's like elephants and Bengal tigers and <laughs> yeah. sloths and things that like there's no business for anybody to murder and present. Yeah. Well, Texas is a weird place in that regard. There's a lot of um, <laughs> like wild game enthusiasm yes. in yes. Texas. I think I once read that there are more wild tigers in captivity in texas than there are wow. in like thailand yeah. <laughs> that's just sad but somehow i feel like that cor correlates with our prison population yeah too, and exactly. the way in which we execute as the tiger population goes out yeah because <laughs> yeah. those are all the people that have made their money from like you know their private prison conglomerates you know <laughs> that they're like oh i'm getting to texas this year you know i'm gonna tiger this year i'm getting so, two tigers this yeah, year exactly. and the world's fastest racehorse <laughs> exactly um <laughs> And uh, so other books include uh, the Book of Fireworks. Yes, yeah, various small fireworks mm -hmm. stands. Um, yeah, so Animals of Shadow Cabela's is a sort of a book that we made in a day. The book is sort of like a stand-in for performance. Yeah. So you we, wanna... Yeah, we uh, kind of gave ourselves the task of trying to take a snapshot of every single taxidermied animal in there. 
Um, and after, I don't know, three hours. <laughs> Yo, maybe even more. I mean, you were like, you know, glazed, upset. physically upset. Standing and watching the gun library for about Which is minutes. a, a thing. And know. people just easily checking out with uh, assault firearms, weapons. assault weapons, yeah. <laughs> and leaving with their kids and tub became too disturbing. But um, So that book looks at the relationship, sort of the century-old relationship between snapshot photography, uh, taxidermy, and, and the, sort of these tableaus that are created in these spaces, you know, these uh, sort of fraudulent or capitalistic ideas about um, outdoor leisure, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and then from that grew another um, experiential book, which was uh, various small fireworks stands. Mm-hmm. So Lynn has a funny connection to Ed Ruscha, which. Yeah, uh, my cousin, Jason Mason, has been a studio assistant for Ed Ruscha for okay. 20 years out in L.A., uh, so it's uh, Jason makes all of Ed's paintings. <laughs> Big Eddie. Uh. <laughs> yeah, he's good friends with little Eddie. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we he's always been an influence on me personally, especially mm-hmm. his book series, mm-hmm. uh, his series of books that he did in the 60s. Um, that was something and, we really came together about. Yeah, was, it was very collaborative. Yeah. We were driving a lot around the Texas Triangle and, um, you know, I grew up here, so the fireworks stand is just a fixture, and mm-hmm. I don't even notice them anymore. But Daedalus, you know, totally, they stood out to him, and he's like, well, we should start documenting these. Yeah, so with disposable cameras, we just yeah. drove around mm-hmm. the weekend of the 4th of July yeah. and, and photographed as many as we could, and then uh, linked him up with this idea of putting it in the matchbook format, which yeah. I really love about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's great. I mean, um Sorry about oh, that. That was <laughs> awful. Um, you can edit that out. Yeah. yeah. Um, Along with all the other radical shit I'm about to say. <laughs> <laughs> truly you know, the firework industry is such an interesting thing to me, too, because it's like, it literally seems like it's only open by law. I'm not really sure what the regulations <laughs> yeah. are. It's like four days a year. Yes. So there's like four days. Yeah. Like, I wonder if there's just like firework guys that are just like, yeah, they kind of have like these clandestine I got everything lives. riding, Gypsy. you know, yeah. like, Gypsy, life caravan lifestyle. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, that's probably true. Uh, well, um, so much of the photographs that unfortunately didn't make it to the book, but that are still, um, you know, in the banks. Yes, yeah. and and you know, there's potential exhibitions that are being developed around them now. Um, explore that aspect mm-hmm. of sort of the people that are there, you know, and, and they're there exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that, that gets more sort of into, like, the, the anthropology, I guess, of these firework stands and of sort of roadside culture and that kind of, um, you know, informal capitalism, that kind of stuff, which yeah. I guess in some way really connects to the, to the flea market. But yeah. I, I don't want to jump ahead. Well, it reminds me when I lived in Lubbock and you had to drive out to the strip to get booze. Right. Because Lubbock is you a have giant to go to, county. Yeah, yeah. You have to go to the outskirts to get your vice. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, Terry Allen would have no songs otherwise. <laughs> true. Yeah, if it was truly a dry county, it was just like, you Why know. cars so much. And then probably my favorite, I would say, of the early 
cattywampus editions is one called Buckwild Heritage, yes, yes, which you. is an incredible book. And do you still have some copies of all these? Oh, yeah. yes. Okay, so people yes. go to what, cattywampus.com? That's right. Yeah, cattywampuspress.com. I highly recommend. Check out. These are awesome books. Yes. Buckwild Soho Books, if you're in Austin, Texas, South Congress Books. Very okay. great. Book. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Buckwild Heritage is a memory card that you guys found in a camera from a thrift store in Florida. That's right, North Central Florida. Well, um, this guy found it. I'm gonna. Yeah. I was skeptical when this yeah. <laughs> front. No, I love it now, but. Yes. Well, that's the dialectic that we always have, right? Yes, our push and pull. Yeah, for sure, and that's good. That's like um, you know a kind of a refinement process or whatever. But uh, yeah, I digress. So yeah, I was rooting around, which is my one of my many motive operandi <laughs> is to to root around the belongings of dead people and see what. I can make from it, and I found this uh, point-and-shoot camera in the back of a Goodwill in North Central Florida in 2008, I want to say, and uh, on it was a memory card, and it had about 500 images that were pretty striking of, you know, young, um, 20s, early 20-something Caucasian people from Florida, from rural North Central Florida, and sort of just exhibiting and documenting their, their lifestyle. And getting buck. Is what yeah. they're doing. <laughs> yeah. you know, they're they're partying super hard yeah. to use the southern parlance. They're getting bucked, so yeah. hence buck wild, wild heritage. That's you know, right. so and then I use the metadata from the card <coughs> to track down who the people are, and I wrote an essay um, that sort of at once um, is a sort of investigative. Um, did you contact the people then from the? Yeah. So what we did was I uh, used the metadata and I found out like that showed me like when the photos were taken and where and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So then I went back to the places with the photos of the people and I found people there and I asked them if they knew who these people were. Uh-huh. And that sort of led me into this, um, you know, circuitous cascading sort of set of relationships and, some of the people I did identify, others I didn't identify. To me, then it sort of became less about pinpointing who a specific person was or wasn't. Mm-hmm. And it was more about penetrating this community and, you know, the and coming to terms with its own sort of ideas of pathos and stuff, mm-hmm. too, you know. And that was really important because when you publish these kind of images, you know, you are a, you're you're a part of a a system of exploitation then, right? You know what I mean? And there's just no getting around that. So then you need to really understand, you know, what you're doing and to whom you're doing it to and that kind of stuff, you know, just so that at least you can feel that, you know, you're being fair or whatever, right? So, and, and then the essay sort of, because of that, the essay took a different shape where it started to explore, what is it, is there even a private photograph anymore? Is every photograph made with a presumption of publicness? Because of a Google image search because of Instagram. You know what I mean? But even the images that you find online, someone put them there. Right, I mean, right. finding the uh, card and being able to access, I mean, to me, that was the fascinating part of that project of seeing what this guy felt worthy of taking an image of. Mm-hmm. And it was Documented. really insights yeah. into who he was, even though we never really see him because he's the one behind the camera. Yeah, right, exactly, which yeah. is a beautiful point. Yeah, that's the point. But vernacular photography has been a thing, you know, for a long time, and um, I've always been interested in it and found footage. I mean, that gets back to Roger Beebe and sort of my roots in experimental cinema. So when I came across his cache, I was 
you know, I knew there was something to be done with it. And it took um, meeting Lynn, obviously, yeah. to realize that it should. He just brings the content and I shape it. Into <laughs> Although that book I photo edited. You did? Yes. Yes, it's very much a collab, you know, yes. back and forth. Yes. Um, yeah, I love that book. And that's an interesting point in terms of if, is there a private photograph anymore? And I guess in a certain way, like, that's one of the reasons why I think there is an appeal of analog things is that it's outside of surveillance Completely. in a certain way. So yes. like even with like playing records, which is something I like to do, I collect vinyl, etc. I sort of like that, that my listening is not being tracked by sure. Spotify. It's in being packaged and sold. And the same thing with, you know, commodified, you know, take a picture of something and then you get ads. Like you could take mm -hmm. a picture of like a cigar mm -hmm. and then you would get, just on your phone, and then all of a sudden Facebook would be like, Neil, do you want to subscribe to Cigar Aficionado right. magazine? You know, like that would <laughs> I literally happen. Yeah. The seductiveness. Creepy about that. Um, <laughs> the seductiveness of the surveillance state. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it comes to you as a wolf in sheep's clothing with the um, Trojan horse of convenience. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? Or like serendipity, this, this sort of constructed, self conscious serendipity. But really, you know, you're just um, being very uh, precisely tracked. Right, exactly. Um, and then, so the newest book that Caddy Wampus has done is a beautiful book and really extremely professional and fantastic. And it is King of the Commode. Yes. Barney Smith, <laughs> right? Toilet Seat Art Museum. Toilet Seat Art Museum right here right. in San Antonio. San Antonio. And Alamo Heights. So, do you guys want to talk a little bit about who Barney Smith is oh. and another one? Scene. Another one where you were on the other side. Shall we start with that? Yeah, you know, I'm from <laughs> San Antonio, so I knew Barney, right? And uh, then I think there was an article that came out about three years, maybe two or three years ago. I think it was a piece in Glass Tire. I want to say or Texas Monthly, maybe about him going away. But he, yeah, talked about how he put his museum up for sale, and I was really struck by that because. When you visit the museum, he's such an inextricable part of it. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. So we just felt, I don't know, we are always looking for fun things to do in San Antonio, and it just motivated us. Dato hadn't been just there day yet. trippers. And uh, so we went out there. We met Barney. You know, he opens up usually every weekend. If you call, you have to call him and make an appointment because he's 97 years old. Um, and it's so, in his garage. Yeah, it's in his garage, in his backyard. He's mm -hmm. been... Uh, curating and making the space for, I don't know, 30 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, when he first began, it kind of became like a sensation, a roadside attraction, and mm -hmm. he got really into geocaching. And <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like in the same thing as um – you guys know that place that's outside of Memphis, the other Graceland? Of where course, yeah, Graceland yeah. 2. Graceland 2. He recently yeah. died. Yeah, um, and that's kind of in the same. So, yeah. and as just what exactly the Toilet Seat Museum is. So, I, in the last conversation, I remember you all saying that the reason why he got into it is because he mounted his, like... Yes, he's a hunter. Hunter, yeah. so he would mount, like, plaques, plaques yeah. and yeah. stuff. On the, the toilet seat. Always, also very thrifty. Yeah. Yeah. He has three daughters. He's yeah. very cheap. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. He, that is not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> to hear that. Um, so he paints these toilet seats and, and collage and collage. And yeah. And, and it's a dizzying array of subjects. Like one, for example, will say 
don't do drugs and have a skull and crossbones and, and a real like, marijuana leaf and a real marijuana that's, leaf. Marijuana. that's awesome and he has a letter from the sheriffs of san antonio on the back of the toilet seat that states that he's allowed to display <laughs> this marijuana barney comes from a generation where it's like the idea of weed was extremely twisted like yes. they've oh, never yes. smoked it and it was just like something where it was like I heard about one guy who had a family who smoked weed. Reed for men, yeah, yeah, exactly. In the superstructure, yeah. in the superstructure, the racist superstructure. Yeah, of course. Say, sure. oh, well, this behavior is with this group that we don't like. We want to marginalize this group. We want to keep this group yeah. down. So right. we're going to criminalize this activity that they use as leisure, and that's going to be a really easy way for us to constantly get probable cause on them, constantly suppress them, and to other them to keep miscegenation down. Right. Right. Well, yeah. I mean the. The drug war was largely kind of constructed by an insane racist person named Harry Ansinger who <laughs> hounded um, uh, Hoover or something or what? What's the what's the woman's name who sang Strange Fruit? Um, oh, Billie Holiday. Uh, Billie Holiday. He hounded Billie Holiday basic, basically on her deathbed and was – once Prohibition ended, he was freaked out about not really having a job anymore and so <laughs> – the war on drugs became, you know, that Latinos smoked marijuana Completely. and black people did cocaine. cocaine and in right. fact, actually, the reason why 357 Magnums are used by the police is because there was a myth that when black men did cocaine back in like the 30s, they became like basically invincible. And right. so you had to have a higher caliber. This is really it's true. And you can read this in the beast mythology. There's a good book called Chasing the Scream by Johan Hari that kind of uh, goes into all that. But anyway, so <laughs> that was a little we're loose today, you know, it's loose time. Brett Kavanaugh's getting confirmed today. So we're just going to let the chopper sing a little bit. Of America here. Yeah. Um, you know, amongst other things, Barney's got, you know, don't do drugs, so let's see. But then one will just be like Motorola phones. And Completely. Be a bunch of, you know, <laughs> yeah. like Motorola phones from the 90s glued to a uh, toilet seat. So why don't you guys tell me a little bit about, you know, what was appealing about beyond just kind of the kitsch and novelty of, of the toilet seat museum, like what you felt warranted of doing this book, which is a really beautiful, I mean, this book could be in a, you know, the Met Museum Thank shop. You. Like, it's a very, uh, it's really like a great testament to, and it's a great, you know, record of this museum that, you know, will. Is going away. Is going away. Yes, so, it's going away, yeah. which we'll explain that as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, so we, we go to the museum, right? And instantly, um, you know, you have empathy with Barney and with you're just awed by the um, just the scale of it and the sheer will of and um, power of, you know, human creativity in the face of um, just being risible. You know what I mean? Um, And then as you get deeper into it, you see that um, he's like many folk artists, he's processing the zeitgeist through his art making. He's whittling the world down into these discrete um, boxes that he can then make sense of or analogize to his value system. He explores his ideology. He explores his biography. Um, and I think the most interesting part of it is when you ask Barney why it's a museum. And 
you know, he says, because it all has to live together. And that's to me, the, when I knew that it, that there needed to be a book or, or some kind of, um, publication that sort of wrapped this whole thing up because he has formed this, this body of work, this lifetime of work. Um, and I think that beyond the, the, like you say, the, the kitsch or even the, the sort of novelty of it or, you know, even the family friendly nature is the true value of seeing an artist persistently at work throughout their lifetime, working out their craft, uh, reconciling their ideas, trying to come to terms with the culture and all of that's in there. It might be silly, you know, it might be clumsy, but it's all in there and it's a valid part of the conversation in terms of um, what our practices look like and what's, what is the duty of preservation? I mean, how do you feel? Yeah, for me, I mean, the first time we visited the museum, it was overwhelming. And it was hot as hell. It was really hot. <laughs> there were a lot of people there. It's very narrow, hard to move through. And so I, like, couldn't wait to get out of there. Yeah, it's kind of, every time I've been there, too, it's been extremely hot. And it's sort of just, like, even if you're not hungover, you kind of feel hungover yeah. when you go in there. <laughs> because being surrounded by toilet seats when it's really hot it's sort of like a hangover, you know, come yes. to life. The and smell of the E60 yeah. glue is <laughs> yeah. vaporizing into the air, commingling with dog shit and like <laughs> the smell of sweaty children and stuff. Yeah. And sunscreen. But, I mean, going back to the museum, I found that it rewarded uh, deeper looking. Completely. There are many layers of life in the garage. I mean, his boots, every pair of cowboy boots his man ever wore are mounted on the ceiling. I mean, and all I have to do is look straight up and you see the soles all worn out. I mean, that's like looking at a yeah, life. It's a beautiful image. It's in the book. And so I think when, you know, that that just naturally informs a book um, yes. because books Texture. reward deep looking mm-hmm. that we come back to them. They're, we are making an artifact out of artifacts. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And it just seemed like the only way to really, you know, so the second part of our mission was to say like, this space needs to be preserved in some way. Like this body of work needs to not go away. Um, but it needs to be documented as it is because its form is inextricable with its content. Mm-hmm. They're braided together, like a mesh together in this deep relationship. And of course the figure of Barney. And yes, once, so once he dies, you know, he's 97 years old. I mean, so we must face facts that that time grows closer every day. Right. Once he dies, you know, a lot of the context around that work will be lost. And so that's why we took extra care to produce this, you know, pretty extensive essay in history in the beginning of the book that not only explains who Barney is, where he comes from, but why he does what he does and what it means to him, and then how we see it in the context of sort of outsider art in the 20th and 21st century. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think what, what you were saying too about just like the kind of the integrity of the practice is really um, kind of moving to me, you know, yes. is that, and that elevating that, like regardless of what it is, and in a certain way there is, you know, true um, 
symbolism of literally being like, okay, toilet seats. So it's like, it's correlation to shit, you know, <laughs> like and yeah, then really? being like, um, <laughs> this is what you spend your life, you know, kind of like, I mean, you but spend a lot of your life on the commode, you know, yeah, you yeah. really do. Yeah. Well, and I think that's there. the main reason why mm-hmm. his family never took it seriously. Yeah, why the neighbors yeah. wanted to mm-hmm. shut him down. Yes. You have to see past the, city the of, toilet. The, the city is catacological. Completely. You know. I mean, the reason why it's a toilet seat is Barney was a journeyman plumber, and he yeah. ran into a cache of 500 defective toilet seats and is, like we said, a really um, well, he was also thrifty a, guy. I mean, yeah. he comes from Eastland, Texas. His family is a very prominent family there who owned... Like, I think the only plumbing business, uh, residential plumbing business in town for a number of years. So Mm -hmm. it's hard baked in him, the plumbing business. And that's where the museum will go. The museum is in the process of being acquired by the Eastland County Museum and will be on permanent public display, free of charge, and available to all peoples of the world. Barney enjoys visitors from 80 countries. We average about, I want to say the last count was 500 visitors a month. Um, so now they'll be able to go to his hometown of Eastland, Texas, mm-hmm. and um, they behold get, the toilet seat. They can see the toilet seats, and then they can go see Old Rip. Yes, Old Rip, <laughs> the, the horned toad um, of Barney's youth. It's a funny story. So there's um, in the newspapers of Eastland, there is this myth of Old Rip, who is a, a, a horned toad, who is um, horned in, lizard, horned lizard, who is entombed in the Eastland County Courthouse. Like um, 30 years? Yes, in the cornerstone of the Eastland County Courthouse. And then once they knocked down the courthouse in the 20s, I um, want to say. major renovish, renovations. I think it was 1918. Yeah. Um, they uh, exhume Old Rip, and he's still alive. Or so and they say. So they say. <laughs> and then he goes on this national tour. Um, he even had an audience with uh, President Calvin Coolidge at wow. the time. Yeah. Yes. Which we found that to be true. We documented yes. that. That's documented in the book. We found <laughs> photographs with Calvin Coolidge holding the fucking horn toad. Like, it's hilarious. And then, of course, the fame proved to be too much for Old Rip, and he died. He died. But he yeah. is on permanent public display as yeah. well mm-hmm. in the in the Eastland, um, I want to say Town County Hall. Museum. County Museum, is that where it is? I yeah. love that. That's like a different t- era of America yes. where animals became really famous. You know? yes, like, I heard there's something yeah. about dead chickens going yeah. on toward it. The well, headless chickens that were still alive or yeah. something? Yeah. Well, that Edison's too. like electrifying elephants and shit, and oh, it was yeah. a bad time. Well, yeah, that's an extremely... <laughs> Thomas Edison literally would use the AC current yeah, to that Tesla invented <laughs> to electrify an elephant to horrify the world of how twisted AC energy was. One of his was. first films. Yeah, fuck Thomas Edison. I'm just going to say that. Huge <laughs> asshole. Horrible person. Terrible but, person. Or another example of great that capitalist. is there is – Yeah, great capitalist. <laughs> there is this these two dogs in the 19th century, in the mid-19th century in uh, – San Francisco, whose names were Bummer and Lazarus, which is awesome. <laughs> and they were just like really tight homies and really good at uh, killing rats. And they were friends with all the hobos in San Francisco. And they also had kind of like a standing like cool with a bunch of bars. And they would go into bars and the bartenders would give them beer to drink and that kind of thing. And like several of the San Francisco papers would regularly cover Bummer and Lazarus and their adventures. Their adventures yeah, yeah, there was like hundreds of stories by some newsman that was like, this week, Bummer and Lazarus went into a, you know, like, I'm not on the trail of yeah. Bummer and Lazarus. Yeah. So, 
that's like a kids movie idea I've had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Although it would almost it. be better to not be a kids movie and just depict San Francisco the way that it actually was yes. in the 19th century, which Meet was the people style. Was, yeah, you know? there was, uh, <laughs> wine bars in San Francisco in the 19th century were just a giant vat of penny for a glass and it never emptied. They were just always pouring more. And then a giant vat of soup that was also a penny for a cup that never (laughs) emptied. They were just always adding vegetables and rock. And then at the bottom, can you imagine what the bottom of that volume is like? Uh, Yeah. And then there was a rope they would string up or for a penny you could sleep you could jackknife your body over the rope this is what I'm saying yeah and then the way they would wake the way they would wake everyone up is they'd pull the rope pull it and would fall down wake up yeah Um, get up you louse so um, get out into the street yeah now let's talk about uh, y'all's gallery space that's in the Kyle flea market a dirty dark place project space yes project space which is has two more months right it ends in December it ends in December we're in October now Jules Buck Jones and his um, project Silent Silent Songs um, will open um, this month or will be on view this month, October. I don't know when this podcast will post, but I assume soon. We'll have the opening on the 14th. Yes, with a new zine um, Mm -hmm. and some cool publications that uh, Lynn and and Jules have been developing. um, Mm -hmm. Some stuff on taxonomy of lizards and Texas. Yes. Right. So, yeah, the Kyle Flea Market is... If you've been to a flea market in Texas, you probably have had this experience where there's a lot of stores stores or stalls, <laughs> stalls. in the flea market that are kind of almost like, you know, if they're trying to hobby. make like um, – post-apocalyptic movie where it's like look what's <laughs> look what the, look, look what society is now and it's just someone it's like being 12 like, monkeys kind yeah, of shit, it's kind of, yeah it's very 12 there's people selling stuff where you're like this is your private nightmare that <laughs> is also your store yeah. um but there's also cool shit at it's very fitting it's, capitalism, it's not yeah it's very fitting in capitalism and flea markets i really like them because number one they kind of put into context the absurdity of the market mm-hmm. of buying stuff mm-hmm. of holding on to stuff mm-hmm. because it'll be and genuinely flea markets really will have some cool scores like the Kyle flea market I highly recommend to anyone yes. who's looking to get into getting a stereo you can actually sure. get a stereo there record player etc for pit not very puppies. much money yeah Trying also if you want some pitbull puppies yeah. you know if you're really just looking to remake your life <laughs> you know if you're like yeah you want to try on a new brand you yeah. know what i mean if you're thinking that you really need to move your brand in a new direction if you're yeah if your plan is to get a stereo so you can start working out listening to eminem <laughs> and a pitbull puppy and then plan to go to Afghanistan and change your life that's as a right. soldier like that's a, you can soldier start the, of fortune yeah the, for the coming privatized war that yeah. is also in the news <laughs> Eric France wants to do that so. that's right that's right yeah Um. so you know we were kicking around much like yourself and I'm sure many of your listeners uh, kicking around flea markets in this case in the, in the hill country and at the same time having a lot of angst about um we, we're, we're based in Austin, so having a lot of angst about the fate of the Austin creative community in light of the real estate, the very volatile real estate situation there. There's been a number of closures of spaces um, and uh, loss of studio spaces for artists. So um, we're poking around, and Lynn and I get the idea. To uh, rent one of these 
storefronts. Right. Um, Stalls. It's yeah. an old tattoo parlor. Yes, there had been a tattoo parlor at one point. That's what we liked about it. Mm-hmm. And, and we also liked that it was like $30 a week. Yeah, an <laughs> equidistance basically between Austin and San Antonio. Yeah, and some markets. So. Yeah, so it seemed accessible on the I-35 corridor. Mm-hmm. And originally, like all things, it began as a really narrow, self-interested project. It was, oh, well, we'll get this flea market and we'll like do projects in it. And then I thought, who gives a shit about that? Like, so get so sick of ourselves. Right. So then, then the next obvious thing was to say, okay, well, let's do a program and let's think about what this really means to have this space in here and what we, let's think about what we don't want to do. That was really important, right? To enumerate what we don't want to do. So we don't want to be a gallery. uh, We don't want to gentrify the flea market. And there's all this stuff happening that we don't like. So we're going to create a space that's not a gallery. It's going to go away after a year, so it won't be this thing that is the slim end of the wedge for the flea market. And we're going to do a bunch of stuff that we do like. Mm -hmm. And from that came the idea of Dirty Dark Place. Lynn came up with the Dirty Dark Place. Yeah. The the name we had been kicking around about. Data was uh, Dave Vicky. Acolyte. And uh, I was talking about the clean, well-lighted place. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, this is the... Antithesis of that. Yeah. This is a dirty dark place. Yeah, I just see that as a time in Austin and in Texas, you know, when um, sort of the market and the avant garde were in this um, symbiotic relationship. And, you know, I'd like to get back to that. And I know there are places that have that here in, in the state and uh, I admire them. But in, but in Austin, you know, it's not the case. So. Um, and then we were sort of bummed about the Texas Biennial. Yeah, well, we I think we pitched this project to them initially. because yeah, um, we're alumni. And, thinking uh, that it was going to be a more expansive mm-hmm. um, Yeah, we know, couldn't get to biennial. yes. We yeah. couldn't get to yes with them because they needed everything to be um, at the furniture mm-hmm. store. And uh, that was sort of like one of the structural problems that we saw, you know, and and then once, you know, the biennial was up for like three weeks or something like that. I'm using scare quotes when I say the biennial. It was up for like three weeks or something like that. And then, it, and then it went away. And then like the like maybe two or three weeks later, Big Medium runs its big pay-for-play scam that it calls East, you know, in this huge warehouse, uh, very expensive warehouse space in, in Austin downtown. And it's up for like, I want to say even longer than the biennial. So that was sort of like to us the the real um, herald would be like, we have to do a thing that, um, you know, is an antidote to, to what we're, what we're seeing here. So from that came the backdoor biannual. And the premise basically is, is that uh, each month features a different Texas based contemporary artist. So there are 12 artists um, and we've had uh, Sean Ripple and Christy Blizzard and, um, Robert Jackson Harrington and Ryder Richards, Ryder Richards and Tara uh, Bachachara Reed and a host of uh, Brad Tucker, Brad Tucker and uh, Anthony Rundley. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And we'll have Jules Buck Jones and uh, Buster Graybill and Jeff Gibbons. And it's been a uh, Daniela. Um, uh, yes. Madrigal Cavazos. Um, it's been a really um, incredible experience. We just had dinner with a friend. Um, the other night, uh, who was asking us about this, who found us through this space. He um, is opening a hotel in Austin, and 
he was poking around for arts stuff and he randomly came out to the flea market and uh, met us out there because he had seen the space and we were having dinner with him and he was saying, how do you feel about it? And, I mean, how do you feel about it? About the space? Yeah. Place? I think it's been very successful. Yes. it's Yeah. I would highly recommend everyone who hasn't gone there to go there in the last two months. It's a great experience. It's a really cool, interesting, unusual gallery experience. The flea market itself is really unusual. And uh, also... There is a fantastic tote bag that you all have made <laughs> that has the Good image taste. of uh, Calvin pissing, and then it has the absolutely banging David Hickey quote yes. of "Good taste is the residue of someone else's privilege," mm-hmm. which fucking rips. <laughs> um, I wish I had written that. That's a great, that yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a great line. Yeah, um, I agree. So. But yeah, Sundays are the day to come. The flea market's hopping. Um, and, you know, go have brunch and come out and see us. I think yeah. the project is really interesting. You know, so it started out as studio-ish and, and very cloistered and stuff. And I think, you know, it's matured. And I think the project is interested in um, alternative forms of populism. And, uh, you know, sort of we live in a time of, of, of right-wing populism, of right-wing performance, mm-hmm. of, of right-wing aesthetics in America. and this project is interested in alternatives to that and, and um, trying to explore the relationship between sort of um, artists, our artists, contemporary artists in their practices and populism, which is something that um, we saw um, a deeper relationship between in the early 20th century, you know, which was another really volatile time. Lynn and I were just talking about that, that like, you know, the teens and the twenties of centuries are mm-hmm. just fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. Always, you know? Yeah. That's an interesting point for sure. And I mean, one thing that you guys do in the press and in the gallery and that you seem really engaged in is what you're talking about, an alternative to that and an alternative to this myth of America that in one, on the one hand also is saying, there's something in the mainstream media where it's like, all right, you know, these Trump voters, and it kind of puts it onto mm-hmm. essentially the working class mm-hmm. of the country in this way to other them and to make them seem like absolute troglodytes. But mm-hmm. in reality, the actual like true basis of right-wing populism, Trump support, this kind of new white nationalism is really not that, but it's more like like a guy that owns like a Cadillac dealership mm-hmm. that like gets a bus boy fired from a Ruth Chris yeah, steakhouse house totally. because he was listening to rap music. <laughs> Completely. On like that's really the thing. And so you guys are investigated in or investigating kind of what I would call the real like, America, man. real America, which is like a rural psychedelic. <laughs> yes, America, yeah. You know? and, yes. and um, psychedelic rural. Is yeah, it, exactly. It. Yeah. That's a phrase that you've used before that I really like. And that's something that, I've been thinking a lot about, I've recently been working on an essay for the catalog for Hill Snyder's um, yes. solo show at the Ruiz Healy Gallery, which is a little self-promotion. It's November 14th. It's going to be great. But, and a must-listen podcast, by oh, the way. Oh, thank you. Oh, my. And uh, he's on the similar tip. And, yes. Um, well, so, I mean, I aspire yeah. to, you know. So I mean. if you guys want to sort of kind of talk about your your thinking of, of that of, in terms of that kind of and also this is a kind of a good place now to talk about future projects in yeah. terms of the Buck Jones book that you're kickstarting right now you mm-hmm. continue which is going to be an awesome project thank you and um, yeah. yeah um 
Okay. So, yeah. I mean, to just, I guess, talk about psychedelic royalism for a minute, um, you know, it's obviously an idea that um, is constantly in fluctuation. Uh, it's just a piece of text along with sort of folk formalism and our neo-populism, these ideas that, that, that we have been working on for a while. But specifically, um, psychedelic ruralism is this, I guess, you know, sort of manifest destiny through a dark, through a glass darkly, mm-hmm. you know, through a, through a, a sort of funhouse mirror. Yeah. You know, we just seek to, we're, we're at once charmed by, I mean, we're Americans, mm-hmm. we're Texans, right? So we're charmed by these things too. They seduce me too, you know? Yeah, we love to go to the buggies. Yes, yeah, I love to be an open. Yeah, you know, Bucky's is such a great American and Texan thing because, like, if you were to show an average European person Bucky's, like, it would almost melt their brain. They would be like, "What the fuck is this?" Like, you know, yeah, exactly. Why like, why is so icy? Yeah, so why is this so big? You know, and then you're just like, "Well, you live here now, you can't." Right. And then, so I guess it's that, right. It's that inquiry into our way and thinking about, um, those alternatives again, right. You know, um, well, please. I love the fact that this space presented challenges for each of the artists because they're having to consider the space and the place, right. They're considering the flea market and then they're considering the, the constraints of the actual booth that we built. Sure. Which is small. And we, uh, we're just talking about this the other day. We operate on the yes and theory. Mm-hmm. And all these artists, you know, they may call us up last minute. I need to do this. Let's do this. And we're like, yes, let's do it. And yeah. this, right. Yes. Um, so and, and improvising the rule and improvising. Always. I think that's been great to see. And I think that's something that's needed more is our flexible spaces where artists can get engaged with the totality of it yeah. instead of just, walking into a white cube and hanging their things on the wall or, yeah. um, showing a film or, you yeah. know, um, yeah. Completely. Yeah. And I, I think along those same lines, right. It's, um, psychedelic ruralism or folk formalism or neo, neo populism are these yeah. ideas that, um, challenge the, the assumed and received, um, basis for, uh, what we think, um, when we hear those terms, you know, so like ruralism obviously is an idea about, you know, um, controlling pastoral space and sort of, um, you know, the, um, the American territoriality. And, and we look at that through a sort of lens that, um, you know, is expanded, has an expanded field and uses uh, indigenous knowledges, uses alternative histories, uses plant-based medicines, uses mythologies, willful misuse of culture to sort of tamper and tweak and hopefully dismantle these superstructures. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's Um, what the publishing arm has been all about. Yeah. You know, I was in publishing for a long time. And when I first started, I was making a lot of artist monographs, which was great. That was the thing I loved the most. And then publishing kind of changed or is still changing. And there were less of those books. And so I was just like, you know, let's bypass these uh, gatekeepers and make our own books. Let's we'll become our own gatekeepers. I have the skills now. I've been in publishing yeah. 10 years. I know the process of how to get a book made. So all we need is good content. Yeah, well, and we talked about that the other day. Our dynamic is really important, right, where um, it's really important to have an expert and then somebody who is not an expert. Right. So 
mean, because my whole thing is to just question every assumption that we come with, you know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and then between that, there's a dialectic that happens there between Lynn and I, where, you know, we sort out between like what is received ideas and, and what is actually possible, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, well, this has been awesome. Let's end by talking about the future projects, yes. uh, the Jules Buck Jones book to begin. Wild. Wild. Yes. The art of Jules Buck Jones. We're all about Jules this month. I love Jules. Uh, a great friend of mine and Lynn's, mm -hmm. obviously. I've known Jules for 16 years since he's in a group called Safety Hawk, mm -hmm. touring um, the uh, I-95 corridor in the early aughts coming to Gainesville, Florida. Going buck wild. Going buck wild <laughs> back in the day, pre-MySpace. <coughs> when we used to organize tours, we the way we would organize a tour, right, is we would go to the library and we would get phone books mm -hmm. for all the cities oh, we were that? going to. <laughs> and we would look up in the phone book and I would find like, okay, I would look up the record shops. I find, okay, strip mine records. Okay, cool. I call them up. As, you know, I could tell in like five minutes, okay, they're underground, cool. We're coming here, <laughs> our band sounds like the Yapakoto or whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so uh, that formed very deep relationships between the people yeah. who were... Scrappy kind of DIY. Yes, coordinating community. the logistics of underground culture at that time, you know, um, which was more difficult. I mean, we wrote letters, yeah. you know. We would write letters to one another. We would send publications in the mail. Well, that was the thing still, that we did. Yeah. Letter writing was really funny. I remember also when I first... Like, yeah, we're all the same sample. age. We're all 36. <laughs> yeah. When I first got my license, you know, it was 1998. I didn't have a cell phone. I don't, didn't have a very good sense of direction. Mm -hmm. So I used to keep, like, like a... Paper maps. Yes. A paper maps and also quarters in my car. And oh, I would yeah. make payphone calls like a Michael Mann movie <laughs> all the time asking for directions to somewhere. And He's in like, Yeah, call me back in two minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, He's in um, heat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I so love yeah, Val Kilmer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Val <laughs> Kilmer is my record. favorite. Oh, yeah. I'm a huge <laughs> Val Kilmer fan. Val Kilmer is amazing in heat. I'll be His character, blonde ponytail, gambling addict. Yes. Uh, extremely tempestuous beautiful. relationship with Ashley Judd. Yeah, he looks beautiful in heat. Mm -hmm. um, he's great. Yeah. Val Kilmer from about... Now Val Kilmer kind of looks like the Apex Twin Monster in the window <laughs> video, but during the 80s and 90s, he scored extremely hard. He did a film recently with Harmony Korine, I feel like, didn't he? I or did he? Oh, that's interesting. I feel like I, but I have incomplete knowledge on this, so I, we should. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah, that's yeah. coming out. It has Benicio Del Toro, Val Kilmer, yeah. and someone else. Yeah. I'm excited for that. It's supposed to be like a Miami drug movie. I'm so really excited. You had me there yes. pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've got the Jules Buck Jones book. Yes, and then uh, any other future projects yes, you don't want to talk about? Yes, we'll, we'll try to move quickly. Yes. Well, we'll just say quickly on the Jules Buck Jones, we're running a Kickstarter campaign that will be over in about 30 days. So um, if you pre -order check the book it out now, now. pre-order it. Yeah, and the book looks amazing. It's going to be an awesome book. It's I recommend it for you that you can get cool Kickstarter yeah. Gifts, etc. Swag. Yes, it's a beautiful uh, monograph. It looks at his practice from 2011 till now, and um, it's uh, a must-have for anybody um, committed to the Texas uh, emergent Texas art community. And he's having his uh, first museum solo exhibition at the Art Museum of Southeast Texas in the spring March. Mm -hmm. in March, and the book will be um, a part of that 
And exhibition. also the book is going to have an intro- an essay by Glass Tire's own editor-in-chief, Christina Rees, mm-hmm. so, which will be great. I'm looking forward to reading that, so that's mm-hmm. going to be cool. And then I'm very psyched. Um, we have, uh, let's see, we have a record that we're producing um, with Christy Blizzard uh, that will come out in the late spring or early summer. And it's um, basically sort of, I don't want to put Christy into a box because you always look foolish when you do that, but... I uh, will say that it is um, sound work that is flows from um, the development of her score for her opera, which she presented, parts of, of which she presented at Art Pace during her, I guess that was 2017 um, residency, and um, also at the Dirty Dark Place during her residency at DDP and as a part of Fusebox Festival in 2018. Um, we're producing a record with uh, Robert Jackson Harrington that um, looks at the El Paso underground culture uh, in the late 80s and early 90s, specifically the um, Lower Valley punk community. So it's an archival compilation that um, documents the recordings of groups like Faction X and Los Vaginal Blood Farts <laughs> and Chinese Love Beads. <laughs> And uh, unhappy, and all these awesome groups that that were sort of like the bedrock for uh, at the drive-in and whatever the hell Beto O'Rourke was involved with at the time. <laughs> but um, and that should come out in 2020, I want to say yeah. was the projection for that, and it'll have a publication as well that uh, uh, documents their photographs and zines and set list, and it's a really awesome yeah. project that a looks part at archive part. Um publishing project yeah it, it looks at sort of this um transnational underground uh predominantly latino art movement in borderland texas sort of pre and post nafta it's a beautiful project very niche yes yeah. yeah, i really love it i really yeah. love it um we have a book that we're developing with um angelina gupta angelina. Anjali gupta uh from solidius Shout out to SD. Yeah, so yes, great house gallery in San Antonio. Great opening tonight, mm-hmm. Saturday, October 5th. Jimmy James Canales, one of the real ones in Texas. That's Indeed. a new show. Um, anyways. Yes, and, and also, obviously, Hill Snyder, uh, very involved yeah. with Solid, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, so we're uh, developing a publication that um, is an anthology of the uh, journal Art Lives, which um, was very deeply influential, not only in sort of Texas and the Southwest, but really, you know, the United States and maybe even internationally to an extent in terms of representing mm-hmm. the critical discourse of the Southwest. Um, so 2021 will be the 10 year anniversary since the last uh, issue of Art Lives was produced. And that's when this publication will come out. Um, we're working also with uh, uh, the University of Houston's um, uh, Beck and Dossett, Beck and Dossett um, who was the designer mm-hmm. of Art Lines. Um, so that's an exciting publication that's coming. And uh, I think on the book front, I mean, Neil's going to have a book. Yes. We hope so, yeah. We're, Bleak we're, Bars of Texas, yeah. <laughs> this is an idea we're working on. Yeah, so uh, yeah. look for that, you know, at uh, 5 o'clock somewhere. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. We're um, starting a micro cinema in this yeah. next year in San Antonio. So that will be happening. That will be the next incarnation of Dirty Dark Place. Of Dirty Dark Place, yes. Um, we'll be a micro cinema for a year in San Antonio. And, uh, and we're also developing an Austin Art Book Fair. 
Yeah. Um, and we have a partnership with the new Central Library in Austin, Texas, mm-hmm. where the Austin Art Book Fair will be held. Yeah. And we um, formed a new collective with Dana Lasai and uh, Jimmy Lou. Jimmy Lou. Um, and we have united under the name Tex Libris, and we're looking forward to uh, programming lots of events uh, about artist publications and independent publishing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In Texas and the Texas diaspora. Yeah. Well, great. All awesome things. Thank you all so much. <laughs> this is like the longest me. one you have. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I got to do this. great. Um, <laughs> thanks, guys. Yes, yeah, thank and you. That's a wrap. <laughs>